Over four decades ago, medical device pioneers John Abley and Pete Nicholas co-founded Boston Scientific to get life-saving technologies into the hands of physicians. Today, thousands of Boston Scientific employees are continuing that mission. We'll begin to tell their stories here on the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Tom Salemi. I am Editorial Director of Device Talks. It's great to have you here on our very first episode of Boston Scientific Talks. I love launching new podcasts, and I love telling medtech stories. So the opportunity to to put these two passions together into a project like this one is just fantastic. So I'm grateful to the folks of Boston Scientific for trusting us with their stories. We'll be bringing you podcasts like this one probably about twice a month. So I hope you have uh, subscribed to our Device Talks podcast network. If you do that, when you do that, you will get every future episode of Boston Scientific Talks sent directly to you. And you'll also get our other podcasts as well. So please uh, do subscribe to the Boston Scientific Talks podcast through the Device Talks podcast network. So what we're going to be doing with Boston Scientific Talks, as I explained at the top, this is our chance to tell the stories of the folks at Boston Scientific who are working day-to-day to bring life-saving, life-changing technologies to physicians and to patients. Today, we're going to talk with Matt McDonald. He is Director of Data Research and Engineering at Boston Scientific, and Jeff Rogers. Jeff Rogers is Global Research Leader of Digital Health at IBM Research. I had a chance to speak and meet with these two gentlemen at our Device Talks West meeting, which happened last fall. We had a conversation similar to this one, but we really were able to advance uh, the points that that were being made and really gave me a better understanding of how Boston Scientific is working closely with IBM Research to understand how pain changes the lives of the patients using Boston Scientific technology. So, Pain is an awful thing. We know that uh, neurostimulators like those produced by Boston Scientific can bring great relief, but they work better when there's a solid understanding of of how those patients are dealing with the pain and managing through their day-to-day life. The partnership between Boston Scientific and IBM Research, as you'll hear in this podcast today, really gives physicians better insights in how patients are doing. And by providing those insights, they're able to do, the physicians are able to provide greater relief to patients. So again, it's a great partnership between Boston Scientific and IBM Research. Really enjoyed reconnecting with Matt McDonald of Boston Scientific and Jeff Rogers of IBM Research. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. But before we begin, I wanted to bring in our fantastic sponsor, ProMed Molded Products. The only way we're able to tell stories like the stories here at Boston Scientific is through the support of our partners in the industry. And ProMed Molded Products stepped up to support this very first episode of Boston Scientific Talks. I am speaking with Elizabeth Bales. She is Key Account Manager at ProMed Molded Products. Elizabeth, tell us about ProMed. ProMed Molded Products is a contract manufacturer based outside of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. 
we have a wide variety of capabilities that we use to make componentry for med devices, but our strength has really been in the silicone molded componentry sector. Something that makes us a little bit unique in this space is that we're still a privately held company with a dedication to the medical device space, and even more specifically, implantable devices for those long-term care and critical applications. That's great. We'll hear more from Elizabeth Bales a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about ProMed Molded Products, go to its website right now. That is promedmolding.com, P-R-O-M-E-D molding.com. Well, Matt McDonald and Jeff Rogers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. I'm excited to revisit a conversation or maybe continue a conversation we had at Device Talks West. The folks listening to this podcast, unlikely, I haven't, probably haven't heard that conversation, so we'll more or less take it from the top. But uh, it's, a, it's an exciting area and, uh, and a really unique partnership between IBM and Boston Scientific. So uh, first, though, I love our folks to understand uh, where you're coming from, what your backgrounds are. Matt, maybe you can uh, just uh, give us a little insight on on what brought you to the medtech industry and to Boston Scientific. Yeah, happy to do it. So my background is technically in bioengineering, but I've been working at Boston Scientific Neuromodulation for the better part of 16 years now. And my focus there has really been on understanding our patients and delivering new tools and technologies to them. So I lead a group that's focused on data science and design, and I've been working uh, proudly with Jeff and the IBM team for several years. And so our focus is on building novel digital tools that we can use in clinical studies um, and in our products to help us better understand our patients. And so that's the intersection between digital tools, software, implants, and, and clinical is, is really where my expertise and, and my team sits. Excellent. Jeff, give us a bit about your background and, and how did you find your way to IBM Research? Right. So uh, my formal training is really as a physicist or uh, applied mathematics in those two areas. And throughout my career, I kind of focused on statistical mechanics, control theory, and applications in healthcare. And so this dynamics and you know how that plays out in very complicated systems. And so I joined IBM about seven years ago to really try and spin up take advantage of the tools that we're developing at the time in Internet of Things, in various computational techniques and artificial intelligence, and how you apply all that to healthcare challenges. And so that's, you know, we formed this digital health group uh, seven years ago to try and get that moving. And, you know, one of the great things has been throughout the time, we've had this partnership with Boston Scientific. And, you know, it's been a, a great challenging problem to work on in chronic pain because it's, you know, on the one hand, uh, physiological and on the other hand, psychological, it just stretches you. So that's really why I came to IBM is exactly to do problems like this. Fantastic. So let's get into uh, into the origins of this relationship. Maybe, Matt, you could help us understand what is the problem that you're working to solve? What is this uh, this partnership targeting? Yeah. So to get to the partnership, I probably should give a quick background on, on what Boston Scientific Neuromod does. And, and so the, the main area that we're working on in this partnership is chronic pain. And in the chronic pain space, Boston Scientific actually offers many products. But the main one we're working on in this partnership is with our spinal cord stimulators. So spinal cord stimulators are really used for patients that are dealing with chronic pain. And it's a small implant that we use to deliver electrical impulses to the spinal cord to help interrupt that pain signal and control it for patients and, and hopefully get them some relief. Those systems are highly customizable to each of the patients. We program them for each patient and each patient actually has their own remote control. So they can control their own system. 
And so with that, we can really tailor the needs of our system to our patients. And so, you know, as you go to try and tailor therapy to a patient, really, you really need to understand how that patient is doing. And so this project and this partnership got going so that we really understood that we needed to know more about our patients. And so as we were doing that, you know, this is why it works well with us and IBM is we know our patients really well. We have great technology um, and we have ways to collect some data, but don't have the same expertise that IBM did in being able to help us uncover insights from that data. And so putting our two teams together is, has really opened up a lot of doors for us um, to help better understand the patients so that we can better optimize those therapies and get better results for them, their families, and, and the clinicians that we help serve. And Jeff, maybe you can you can share how did the two organizations begin talking and working together and, and how does IBM look at at the uh, the problems that Matt just uh, laid out as, is this a, a unique opportunity to sort of study this type of data set it must be it must be rewarding to kind of apply your your background and your skill set into measuring and, and bringing relief for patients yeah so i think from ibm's perspective right this is um we're not in uh patient care delivery right that's not something we do we're not going to do and so we really focus on various it and mathematical problems physical problems and so here Right. The, the partnership makes a lot of sense from our perspective for the reasons that Matt laid out. Right. We want to try and push our technologies as far as we can. And something like this that is really complicated to really get a handle on patients, you need to watch them throughout the day. Right. Be able to find a way to gather information when it needs to be delivered in ways that they can easily do it. Right. And then to pull all that together and make some kind of sense out of it, it's a lot more challenging than if you have a system you've designed and you can get data when you want, as you want, and you can filter it and replace all that. So for us, this is a really good challenge because uh, everything's changing all the time. The patients are very complicated themselves, but just the kind of information technology challenges are, are severe. Right. And then once you get all that, doing predictive models or or analytic tools, developing the tools that allow you to understand where somebody's at and what's really important to understand where they're going uh, so that you might help them. That's a great challenge, right? And so a problem like this uh, that's so complicated has so many facets to it and a partner like Boston Scientific who's in the world doing it today, uh, that's a nice partnership for IBM, right? Because we can work on the foundations of what we understand so well and then hopefully help enable Boston Scientific uh, to be more successful. So that's what we want to do. Absolutely. That sounds great. All right. We'll take a quick break from this conversation to bring back our sponsor, ProMed Molded Products. Once again, I am speaking with Elizabeth Bales, key account manager at ProMed. Elizabeth, how does ProMed work with medical device companies? We're a contract manufacturer, so essentially we build what medical device companies need us to build. We make custom components to our customer specifications, and we like to work with our customers at all stages of their product life cycle. So from the very beginning, it's a napkin sketch and an idea of what we want to do through to this is an established device in the marketplace that's saving people's lives. On the front end of that cycle, you know, we rely very heavily on our in-house tool shop and our in-house prototyping shop to have those quick turn design iterations to make sure that this component, this piece of the puzzle that we're working on is solving the problems that it needs to solve and that it's performing the way that it needs to perform. From there, we can keep that expertise 
and that know-how that we've learned during those stages and foster that into a new product development cycle or production cycle to ensure that we're continuing to supply really high quality componentry for the life of that device. When we're looking at the full production volumes or the full production support for a device, we may look at our other facilities that are more equipped to handle larger scale manufacturing at lower cost, such as our facility in Puerto Rico. Finally, Elizabeth, ProMed sits in an interesting spot. Uh, What do you think the future looks like for contract manufacturing and medical devices? Well, the future for contract manufacturing is really driven by the future for medical device companies. So we're seeing the same trends as device companies are seeing in the market as well. And that's having devices that are smaller, they're able to last longer, they're able to do more, and also doing all of that at lower costs is important as well. So from the componentry side of that, we're seeing added features to components or actual additives to the materials so that a component can serve more than one function within the the device. An area that we've been working on and seen a lot of growth is conductive additives as well as pharmaceutical additives to silicone materials. So a cuff is no longer just a cuff. There may be a steroid in that that helps it actually behave in the body more favorably to the patient. Or a seal is not just a seal anymore. It's participating in the electronic makeup of the device. With this, you're able to use one part and get so much more out of it. But that does come with its own unique manufacturing challenges that we're working to figure out how to overcome through those early stage prototyping and design iterations. The other thing that comes along with these more functional components is a reliance on our materials suppliers to make sure that we have the right materials when we need them to maintain secure supply. So we've been partnering with raw materials suppliers to develop new materials, to work with them on what, where their innovations lie, and to bring a breadth of options for materials to our customers so we can have security of supply through production and through the life of the device. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Bales, for joining us on our first episode of Boston Scientific Talks. And thanks to ProMed for sponsoring. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about ProMed, I suggest you go to its website, promedmolding.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-D molding.com. Matt, what are the data points that you're you're collecting? The, the the measurement of pain or the gauging of pain is, is interesting. I've got a relative who has back problems lately, and he texts his daily reports, and it's his level of comfort is really measured upon what he's able to do. I drove the car today. I did this today. I'm not lying on the floor anymore. I'm, I'm sleeping in my bed again. Uh, what kind of data are you collecting to kind of to to measure how your uh, your users are doing? Yeah. So first, sorry to hear it. I never want anyone that we know to have to need the things that we work on. But unfortunately, chronic pain is a very big problem. So so they're not alone in that. Just in the U.S. alone, there's there's probably over 50 million people that might be suffering like that. And so so this problem is, is not a small one. It's a pretty large one. And so, you know, as you said, every person is unique and how they experience pain is unique. Unfortunately, for years in the device community, the best measure that was used to assess performance was really just a zero to 10 scale or some frowny faces to smiling faces. <laughs> That's right. And just asking you to, to say what that was. And, and on top of that, it was usually asked in the clinic. And so you would get this one narrow snapshot into how a patient might be doing with a therapy on that day in that environment for that. You definitely don't get the diverse picture that you just described. 
And so our work and our project has really been trying to see how much of that at-home, real-life picture of the patient can we capture in a way that works for the patient and helps us optimize for them. So we know that every day, more than pain is important. In fact, when we ask patients, rarely is pain alone the number one thing that they want to improve. Most of the time, it's other things like what you mentioned. I want to go for a walk with my grandkids. I want to be more mobile. I want to sleep longer. I've really been in a bad mood, and I want to get back to being who I would be again. So it's things like this that patients really care about. So do their clinicians. They want to get them back to functioning. So what we've done is, is give the patients a way on their own personal phone um, to answer questions daily that reflect those same topics that I just mentioned. Of course, their pain, but their mobility, their mood, their medication, other things that might be affecting them, along with getting some objective data from a smartwatch. So that's the data that we're, that we're pulling together on the, you know, how the patient is doing. And we, we couple that with information from their stimulator to see how their therapy is working. And that's really where, you know, Jeff and I and the teams start to get to work together on, on the fun data set is to make sense of all of that and, and put it into a place that, that you can get to insights from um, for each of our patients. So then I want to get into that in a moment, but just to understand, so the, the smartwatch, is that a proprietary smartwatch from Boston Scientific or using an Apple watch or standard watches for, for the, that kind of data? What, what is required there? Yeah. So we've been trying to use watches that are off the shelf, okay. but the measures that come in an off the shelf watch may not be appropriate to chronic pain patients. And so part of our partnership has been developing new metrics from the data on those watches to really tailor them to the needs of the patients. You know, steps alone may not be an appropriate metric for patients who can't walk very much throughout the day. Right. And so we want to make sure that we're using the watch um, so that it works for patients like a watch, but that it also works for them in, in treating their disease. And so, so that means taking the, the existing watch and, and adding some new insights from the data that it can collect. Interesting. The uh, smartphone prompts, Jeff, I don't know if you would manage this, but how do you get folks to respond to those? I know I, I signed up for Duolingo last week and I'm getting pinged all the time to take my lessons and I can easily just kind of dismiss and cancel and forget about it. How do you engage a patient and, and ensure that you're getting the information that, that help you conduct your study and help them provide better relief long term? So this is, as you might imagine, pretty complicated. Yeah. Um, I, I think I would say for me, almost the toughest problem is understanding how to get the information from someone and and how to deliver back the information in a way they'll listen to it, right? That's really hard and it can be very personal. So, you know, Matt's team does a lot of work on this, uh, testing it. And, you know, we have a lot of opinions from various places we've tried to work these things out, but it's definitely something where ease of use is is so important. And the questions or the things that you engage somebody about have to make sense to them, right? So I, I really find people that you want data from just because you want it, that's not a good motivation. You need to show people, engage them in it and make them, make them your partner. So it has to be something that they feel like either they're getting something out of right away or that in the larger engagement, they're getting insights they wouldn't have another way. If you give that, people will engage quite a bit. But if it's something that is a task, and even if you're paying them money, if it's something that's a task for them, they'll, they're not doing it over the long term. They'll, they'll stop doing it. That's my opinion anyway about that thing. So I think the other thing is, it's another part that makes our partnership great, is that this partnership isn't just data scientists and engineers. We actually have people on the teams that have psychological backgrounds and behavioral health, 
and a lot of other skill sets that really help us to make sure we're understanding that mindset of the patient and, and helping them to, to engage in those, those same ways to do that. And I think the other thing that we're blessed with in chronic pain is our patients really want to share their stories. And mm. so, so we find that they've actually been, when you meet them where they are and, and do the things Jeff's saying, they can be very compliant. They actually love to share and hear, you know, even going back to your family example, unprompted, they, they really want to share what's going on, how they're doing, how they're improving. And so we find that that when you give them an easy way to do that, patients will engage and and do it to get something back, as Jeff is saying. Let me expand on that just one more time, because no, I, 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 Matt brings up a really key point. You know, we do have patients who will come back, they'll engage for a little while, and then they'll actually reach out in text telling us how things are going and literally say, you know, keep working with me. Like, I, I really appreciate it. You know, I feel like you're there to support me. So when the patients engage like that, that they see the electronic solutions you're giving them as their partner, all of a sudden, you know, actually, you may say, look, you're saturating us with data. <laughs> you know, as Matt says, I think that if you compare the engagement in these studies with what you see from general commercial devices, it's actually quite a bit higher and more reliable than you would see just putting out even something that has a game on it doesn't get the kinds of engagements these do. Jeff, how does that relationship work with patients? Do you feel like they want to be part of the process and, they, and they, they're encouraged or, or they're, they really desire to be heard? Certainly. And the interesting point there, I think, is you will see patients, you know, of different types for sure, but you will see patients who engage for a while and then they actually begin to get feedback or you ask them questions that are meaningful to them and help them understand their own situation. And then they become your partner. And, and you know, we've actually had patients tell us literally that uh, in text, we say, hey, how are you doing? How are our suggestions doing for you? And they literally tell us, you know, thank you for being my partner. I really appreciate you being there. Keep sending me recommendations. They don't all work the way I want them to, but I very much need this. You're helping me out, right? You'll have other patients who will actually have some frustration because they don't, they're not getting what they think they need. But then over time, they start to have uh, the fact that you're interacting with them and they see that you're trying to help them move forward. They'll actually come back and turn around and be a big supporter of it, right? And sometimes the feedback they give you can be very harsh, but it's direct. They're they're actually a partner. They're completely engaged. And when mm -hmm. you have that kind of engagement, the compliance goes way up and they're reliably going to give you the data and they're going to give you insights that honestly, you can't get another way. It's very hard to infer out from data when somebody's telling you, I've been feeling better. So I went to work in my motorcycle shop for the past four hours yesterday. And this is a true story, right? And this, this person's telling us, I got in the shop. I got everything clean. I spent four hours in there. I haven't done that in years. Today, I'm in bad shape, but it's not your recommendations. It's the fact that I just could do more. Yeah. And then this person yeah. shows that same pattern over several weeks, but they tell us, right? It's not that I'm cycling through bad states. It's that I'm more active and I love it. Keep yeah. it up. Interesting. So the, the patients are engaged. I'm curious, Matt, you mentioned all the people who work on this. Who, who, what does this effort look like? Who are they engaging with? How, how many folks are involved? And, and how does IBM interact with, with Boston Scientific? Are you on the phone? Are you on Zoom calls? Is there just some sort of supercomputer linking everybody's minds together? What, what does this look like? 
Yeah, so so our our teams work hand in hand. So so my team, Jeff's team, we really try and function as as one larger group to make sure that when we show up to the patients, we show up as one group. So we want to make sure when we deliver for them, they they see one concerted effort um, helping them to get better. So so our main way of interacting with the patients is through the digital applications, and so through this application on their smartphone, that that's where really the rubber meets the road for us and the patients so that we can get the data, but then also in the future, translate that into commercial products for that side. So our teams work very closely together, but in the end, the, the thing that the patient sees is, is that application, the, the messages back and forth to it and, and a way to get through to us. The Boston Scientific team with our therapies, we do have field clinical engineers in the field. They meet with the patients in the clinic. They're the ones helping to program their devices. But really what we're trying to do with this project is, is move well beyond the clinic alone and, and help to meet them at home. And so that really means working with them through the application. And Jeff, how about on your side? Do you have a, a team on the IBM side or is it you primarily or again, I'll go to back. No, my no not me. I don't think <laughs> uh, you um, with, a, with a calculator, just just working through all these. That's just me in the background. With <laughs> uh, actually, slide rule. I don't go for a calculator. Come on. No, the, the people on the team, it's a diverse set of people. Pretty much everybody has complementary skills and it would surprise you, but there's everything from a neuroscientist to actually linguist mechanical engineers, electrical and computer engineers, uh, computer scientists and computer engineers. So there's there's a mix of people and a couple of physicists thrown in just for color. Uh, and <laughs> so the, the that's the collective group, right? The, our team is mostly on the scientific side, deeply on the scientific side, or a set of computer engineers with that group, right? So that's where the IBM team really is. So Matt, has anything surprised you from what's been generated from this effort? Or has it unfolded as you thought it might have when you initially started? So it definitely hasn't unfolded exactly as we thought. There's been a lot of surprises along the way. And so I, I think honestly, one of the one of the things that we've found is one of the biggest surprises is actually an insight that's come out of the data. And it's a way that when you take all of this data and you kind of pull it all together, it could end up being very complicated. We're gathering a lot of information and the patients don't want to make sense of all of that. And our clinicians would have a hard time too. And so one of the, I think, biggest discoveries or surprises for us is actually out of some analysis that I think Jeff can share more about, but um, we call it the patient states. And so we actually found a pattern in the data. So this is hearing directly from the patients when you look at them each day as they're changing over time, there's actually a pattern. And on each day, we can tell how they're doing just by knowing if they're in one of these five buckets or one of these five patient states. And so because of that, it really gives us this new tool to understand how patients are doing and changing over time in a much more simplified way. So you get to know everything that we've been talking about for the patient, but on every day, we can just now tell you what was their state. Were they having a good day or a bad day? and be able to use that to decide what to do next for them. And so that didn't have to happen. That patient state and this clustering and this cluster analysis didn't have to happen from this data. So, so that was definitely a surprise in the work and in the data, but one that's turning out to be very powerful, both for our patients and, and for the products that we're trying to, to go towards in the future. Jeff, do you want to share some of the more information about the patient states? Right. No, I think the important thing there was right, you collect a lot of data, but making sense out of it um, is a hard thing. 
Uh, and sometimes it's obvious, right? There's some signals you want to get, and that's obvious. I think where we really started around was, are there metrics that you can use to measure pain? And those turn out, yes, there are, and they're multidimensional. But something we did to look a little deeper into it is we're gathering, you know, in total, something like 34 different signals on the patients over time. And we have been doing this for years now. And that's what I think is really important is we have so much signal to go and look at. So what we did was we took all of those signals, threw them together and said, there will always be some type of clusters if you perform the analysis. But let's see if there's meaningful subgrouping going on. And if there is, what are the measures that differentiate one set of patients from another, right? And so what we found was there's actually 12 of the signals we're gathering that matter. Those condense down to seven things. And in those seven things, actually the patients drop into different buckets, right? So that was surprising. It doesn't have to be true, as Matt said. You know, it doesn't have to be true that states of matter can either be liquid, solid, or gas, Right. But that's an actually a really deep insight because it, because, you know, that water can either be a liquid or it can be ice or it can be gas. And its properties are fundamentally different in each one of those states. Well, that actually tells you an awful lot about it. Right. And about water allows you to work with so much. And so here with the patients in a similar way, they drop into states. Right. Despite the fact there's a lot going on in their lives. And what's interesting, I think really interesting, going back to the original point that we talked about, you know, you ask people how much pain they're in and that they give you a number, is that there's some states that have very similar pain, right, that people will report, but their quality of life is completely different, okay? And so the overall state of the patient is not similar, right? They're in a different place, even though if you ask them about their pain it is similar. So the fact that these states exist when you do various types of cluster analysis and analyses, and we've done this with smaller populations, bigger populations, you know, over tight timeframes, multiple years, we end up in the same place. So we feel it's a pretty stable analysis at this stage. And what's nice about it, as Matt was saying, was it didn't have to be that way, but it works out to be that way. And that allows us to think about, okay, if you're in this state today, what are the individual things that could be tweaked for you to help you move to a better state? Or even though it appears that you've got the best you can, we can tell there's states above this that we could get you into. So let's figure out how to get you there, right? So that's really, I think, been compelling because it opens up from a science point of view, a whole bunch of questions that we think could have implications to treating a patient, like not just a simple way for the doctors to see where you're at, but also to see, hey, in this case, you know, maybe you need to change your medication or maybe we need to get you out and walking or, you know what, really social aspects might be the most beneficial thing for you to work on. So that's where I think we can go. And are people moving from, will, will they be in state A one day and state B the next and back to state A and maybe to state D, or do they generally remain in the same state? Chronic pain patients have a lot of things going on in their life. And so, so they move around. Mm-hmm. Our goal is really like, just like you said, to get them up into those best states as often and frequently as we can and to keep them there. But uh, but they're, they have a lot of complicated life going on. And so, so there's definitely variation and variability that's happening for them. And so, so we do see them moving around when they have good days and bad. And so now we can use those, though, to see, okay, how many good and bad days are you having? How do we move you through those to help you get more of those good days using, using the therapies that, that we have available to us for this? 
Something else that I wanted to mention on the states too is that we, we definitely discovered this from the patients, but we've also now done the work to compare it to some of the classical validated clinical measures that our physicians and others would, would be interested in. So, so we found something with the patients, but it also validates against the classical measures and shows us that, hey, actually the one that we found at home, it aligns with and agrees with the things that the physicians might've been using in the clinic before. And so that gives us even more confidence that, that we've got a metric that, that really does match up to make some of those changes um, and gives insight into how it, how it might compare to things that, that people may have been more comfortable with before and using that in the clinic. So, so when you see those variations, you can know that they're real and meaningful to the patients and that they would have implications that are similar to ones that clinicians may have been treating for previously without this level of insight. And on the point Matt's making there, right, the thing is that you get more information than you would just from those surveys, right? As Matt's saying, they, it turns out that there's an ordinal ranking and it's translatable, I think, into measures people are familiar with in the clinic. And But what it allows you also to do, I think, because you have these states and you could talk about what can move people between them, the spinal cord stimulator is the main driver of all this, right? So you can understand all right, for this patient, are they using the optimal settings that are important for them? And then as I was alluding to a moment ago, you also get to understand for them, all right, the spinal cord stimulator is what's going to drive the main transitions, but what would support that, right? Should we, with this person, focus on getting them up and walking, right? Because for some people, mobility does it, other people, it's not, right? It really is. You need the support because it's such a complicated experience, you need the support of the, the social piece around as they change their program. And that kind of holistic view, I think, is what it has excited me about this whole project is that we're not just looking at how tissue might respond. We're actually looking at how the patient responds overall, right? And so that gives us, it's a lot more complicated a view, but it gives us, I think, such more insights into what might actually help them because it, it, you have to treat people the spinal cord simulators do a great job, but you have to treat people, I think, from different angles to really allow them to get the best, most stable treatment out of it. Interesting. I was going to ask if if one of the steps or one of the measures they could take was adjusting the, the stimulators. So it sounds like that's part of it as well. Matt, has the the data generated from this study, has it changed the device at all over the years? Is it being shared with R&D and they're making improvements? Has it advanced the product or has that remained somewhat consistent throughout? other than maybe innovation that would have happened anyway. Has this helped? Has this been part of the innovation process going forward? Yeah, so for us, a, a big part of this project is is doing what you said, of turning it back around and getting it not into just devices that patients can use in a clinical study, but into actual clinical practice that patients um, all over the world would be able to benefit from. And so, so we definitely work with our R&D counterparts, um, and I'm technically one of those people in our R&D team, um, trying to make sure we get this into those products. You know, for this project, that's really where our ultimate goal is, is, you know, we're, we're able to have patients changing and making changes on their own with our therapies, and they can get to great results for that. But ultimately, what we're um, doing and, and piloting in these studies is, how do we get those recommendations to a patient to help them make it in a more automated fashion, give them a way to close the loop, and know what the best settings are for them to improve that pain state. And by doing that, hopefully get them get them better results over time more consistently, as, as you were saying. 
And so for us, that's that's really the ultimate direction is how do we get this back into not just clinical studies, but into products that that every patient can benefit from. So that, that's definitely the that's the journey and the, the longer path that, that we're all on together. And final question. We've talked well, entirely about pain, but there are other conditions out there that, that produce data that can be studied similarly. Is this uh, an effort that can be expanded into other technologies, other disease states? And is that being explored? So I think so. And I, you know, I think we both Boston Scientific and IBM have interests in there um, for that. I'd say the the first piece on that expansion, though, is, you know, we're, we're looking at our patients that are dealing with chronic pain with spinal cord stimulators. But as we said at the beginning, chronic pain is is way bigger than that. It's, you know, 50 million people, 30 percent of people worldwide with chronic pain. So, you know, how might we use things like these patient states and some of the, the novel insights we're getting to help treatments get to more of those people. So a big problem is that a lot of people with chronic pain can't get the treatments that are that are already available. And so how do we help them to, to find their way to the to the right treatments that could get them some relief and then expand out for that? So so even in the chronic pain world, we think a lot of these tools have applicability that could grow beyond where we've started in spinal cord stimulation and really help you know, people across the spectrum, you know, you hear a lot of things like opioid disorder and back surgeries and other things that are affecting a lot of people. And so, so I think it's an interesting place to think where, where this might go in the future for that, uh, to help just people in chronic pain. And, and there's obviously places beyond that, but I think that's even an interesting big next step of a, a space that really does still need some more help. I think the health equity aspect of that is a you know that's how I'm going to characterize what Matt just said is that the ability to reach people where they are as opposed to getting them in a clinic uh, or and where they are can be in places you know quite far from where you'd like them to be if you're treating them right and by using this kind of footprint that's been developed I think it really is a opportunity for creating health equity and a very challenging problem. And so that, that I think is a, a great direction to go. And I think something very unique, right? It's not that you have to perfect it in a clinic and then roll it out. In this case, it's kind of coming the other way, right? It's more you're learning the information in the field, learning how to deal with all the noise and all the other signals that are out there to collectively create a picture that honestly you couldn't get in a clinic or a hospital, and then using that to help inform what you do when you have more control. Fantastic. Anything I'm, I'm missing or, or, or failing to cover? We covered a lot of ground. It's a fascinating uh, topic. No, it's been a great conversation, Tom. I enjoyed having it. And as you can tell, we're both both pretty passionate about understanding the patients and trying to find them better solutions. Fantastic. Well, it's been a great conversation from my end. And uh, thank you both for, for joining us on the podcast. Good to talk to you, Tom. Take care. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Thanks, of course, to ProMed Molded Products for sponsoring this first episode. Thanks to Matt McDonald and Jeff Rogers for being our very first guests. It was great to connect with them again. Thanks, of course, to the Boston Scientific comms team for helping us put this podcast series together. I'm really looking forward to bringing you future stories and to make sure you don't miss any of them. I highly suggest, I recommend, I, I implore you, subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network. You'll get future episodes of Boston Scientific Talks sent directly to your phone, your computer, wherever you're listening to podcasts, and you'll get our other great podcasts as well. You can find them all at devicetalks.com, and we'll have episodes of Boston Scientific Talks 
posted there as well. If you would, please share this podcast episode on social media. And when you do that, when you uh, share this story from Boston Scientific, please tag me. I would uh, love to connect with you on LinkedIn. My name is Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I, Editorial Director of Device Talks. So please share this episode, connect with me, subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network, and make sure you join us next time for another great story from Boston Scientific on the new Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.